Welcome everyone to the In the Village A Prisoner intro cast. Today we've got a special unannounced episode on the Patrick McGoon film Ice Station Zebra. But first, my name is Shane and joined as almost always by John. Hello. And Aaron. Salutations everyone. Please uh, ignore any background noise you can hear during the episode, but uh, John is doing the podcast from outside. So, as I said, we're doing uh, Isolation Zebra today. So, what does every overall thoughts of the film before we get into it? Um, honestly, I thought it was kind of shit. Okay. It hasn't aged well, I don't think, I, I, is, is the best way I would probably put it. Okay. I mean, for, for when it first came out, I'm, I'm sure it was probably really good, but I think, you know, it's it's been almost 40 years since this film came out. Okay. And the aging is kind of no longer the aging is the age is obviously very much showing for, okay. for, for the movie. Okay. Uh, according to Wikipedia, it had a budget of eight million dollars. It, it was in the box office. Uh, made the box office four point six million. Not that haul. Um. Yeah. It was made on. It, it was made by MGM. Release date of October twenty third, nineteen sixty eight. Uh. Yeah. But we'll get into the actual movie itself, and we open. With a satellite uh, re-entering the atmosphere, and it ejects the capsule, which parachutes to the Arctic. Um, both Russian and American forces are watching it. And when it lands, uh, a figure will soon approaches it, guided by a homing beacon, and then with a second person secretly watches from nearby. Uh, the scene shifts to uh, Commander James Faraday, played by Rock Hudson, a captain of a U.S. nuclear submarine. Rock Hudson, yeah. Indeed. Stationed in Scotland, he is ordered by his superior, Ad- Admiral Gary, to rescue the Persians personnel off the ice station Zebra, which is a scientific weather station moving with the ice pack. However, the mission is actually covered for a highly classified assignment. Uh, Faraday welcomed British intelligence service agent, Mr. Jones. Our Patrick McGowan and a military platoon. Yeah, I would, um, you know, when, when he gets the orders to, uh, uh, go up to Ice Station Zebra, he seems mm-hmm. kind of, uh, kind of, uh, put out, I guess. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, this is kind of beneath him. That's yeah. the, the feeling I got. Um, plus it was kind of refreshing seeing the opening montage, the whole, uh, like actual switches and like yeah. analog stuff. I don't know. I, I get a kick out of that kind of thing. So I enjoyed watching that. Cool. I was just finally happy to not have to see the usual opener we've been seeing for the past eight months. <laughs> it's like, ah, I'm not listening to the same opener, finally. Something new. <laughs> Although they did have that uh, orchestral uh, prelude thing that went on for way too long. That's true. That's, that's, very, very, that's very, very true. It reminded me of um, Star Trek, the motion picture. You mean the slow motion picture? Yes, I do mean the slow motion picture. So, which, which, which Star Trek is like eight million of them. <laughs> Oh, the first one. The first one was uh, was Vija. Uh. This actually, it's actually film film actually reminds me of Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Actually, in a lot of ways, it is very slow. Yeah, even though I was, I was watching it for the first time earlier today as we record this, and um, I was talking to myself, "Oh God, this, this is a very very slow film." Looked at how long the film's gone on for, and it was been an hour and a quarter. So, even though it felt slow, it actually wasn't actually slow as I was watching it. 
I think that's a big detraction from the movie. It does have a problem with pacing because the the last quarter of the film goes by really quick, and the rest of it is all just build, build up, really build up, anywhere. more build up. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so halfway through them traveling to Oshaging Zebra, uh, they uh, they get new orders, and it's a, a Captain Anders who takes command of the Marines, and Barzazov, a, a Russian spy defector. He's a trusted colleague of Jones. Yeah, played by Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. Doing a very bad Russian accent. Yeah. And we've wrapped all that up in about five minutes, and we're 35 <laughs> minutes into the film. Um, I did think the film had some really good cinematography. I mean, some of the underwater sequences are actually really impressive. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought that they, they spent too long on the sub, but they didn't spend long enough on the sub, if you get my yeah, I mean, we didn't we didn't get a lot of character progression. Uh, McGowan's character Jones, it's it's kind of implied that he's an alcoholic because yeah. he's always asking for whiskey and he's always and they make a big deal about pointing out that they're not supposed to be drinking on the ship, but the captain makes an exception for him. Yeah, um, we we don't we don't get a lot out of Borgnine's character other than he's a Russian defector, uh, which. Uh, spoilers, he ends up being one of the bad guys. Yeah. Because oh, you spoiled it for me. I didn't know that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm horrible. Um, I, you know, honestly, I thought, you know, if, if we don't mind skipping ahead a bit, I, I thought uh-huh. they, they, they'd set up a, uh, sort of like plot triangle about who the, who the traitor is because the sub gets sabotaged about yeah. halfway through the film. Yeah. And they, they start setting up, well, somebody is obviously a traitor on board. Somebody knows what we're doing. Uh, you, so you start you start kind of looking at different characters in a new way, like who's got means, motive, and opportunity. Um, I I think that they they went the wrong way with that, and I don't know if it was different in the book. Um, I don't know, Shane. You might be able to tell me you got the thing up. Yeah, yeah. But I think uh, they added that. I don't think that was actually in the book. There was a fire, but I don't think the tube thing was in the book. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, the, the, the sabotage on the ship was, uh, they were going to fire a torpedo to break the ice so they could surface. Yeah. And, uh, when they go to open the tube to load it, somebody had rigged it so that it looked like the tube was clear when it was actually full of seawater. Uh-huh. So it started flooding the ship. But, uh, after that, they start playing off, you know, who's the traitor, you know, I've, I've, you know, uh, Faraday starts questioning, you know, which one of these people that I brought aboard. Uh, is is trying to sink my sub. Yeah. But I think they went the wrong way with it because they kind of they, they imply that it's Anderson because Jones vouches for Borgnine's character. I'm I'm forgetting his name. But I think it would have played stronger, especially with the stuff they were setting up, if it had been the uh, Marine Lieutenant had been the traitor because he had means, motive, and opportunity. Yeah. I want, I want to take it back. The torpedo did happen in the in the novel. That that's my mistake. Yeah. The, but, just, just to clarify. Uh, okay. Uh, but the uh, uh, but Barrett wasn't actually in the novel. Nor was the Marine captain. Nor did the Nor... whole thing on the ice happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Most of the characterizations involving the submarine crew found in the novel was actually jettisoned for those creations. Well, knowing that, I think it makes it a weaker film because you could have played a lot off the claustrophobia inside a submarine mm. and people picking at each other and bringing in new elements to an established crew. Instead of, you know, confrontation with the Russians on the ice that leads nowhere. Yeah. And the um, <coughs> the uh, submarines was actually renamed as well. Yeah, it, w- it, was, it was originally the Dolphin. Yeah. Well, 
So was Patrick McGowan's character. His name wasn't originally David Jones. It was Dr. Carpenter. Yeah. And Commander Faraday was Commander Swanson. But those are yeah. minor details. Exactly. Exactly. Going back to the actual film itself. Um, uh, they, the submarine makes its way to Zebra's last known position. Faraday uses the torpedo to blast its opening in thick ice. However, the crewmen suddenly find the torpedo tube open at both ends. Killing torpedo officer Lieutenant Mills as seawater floods in, uh, plunging the sub to its rated crush depth. And beyond. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Jones helps to close the tube, but even so, Faraday and the crew are barely able to survive themselves. You seem to know an awful lot about submarines, Mr. Jones. Yes, indeedy. Indeedy. And McGowan actually had to be rescued. Ha <laughs> uh, During that scene? Yeah, yeah, floated from a flooded chamber by a diver who freed his trapped foot, saving his life. Oh boy. Yeah, which was, uh, which was quite, um, yeah. so, um. Anyway, back to the film. Yeah. <laughs> so we are now an hour into this film. We are, we are, we are, we are. Uh, and they conclude there must be a saboteur on board. Faraday expects, suspects Rosalov, while Jones suspects Andreas, who is the least member, no member of the rescue team to Joan, Faraday and Rosalov, and University disliked for a strict demeanour. Jones demands Faraday complete the mission regardless of the risk, but Faraday refuses, unless he knows the purpose of the mission first, and that moment an, an area of thin ice is located and Faraday surfaces the submarine. And of Act 1. And we get a rare intermission. Yes, we do. Probably one of the later... I mean, it's, I think that just goes to show some change in filmmaking because, you know, you had a long movie like that and then you got an intermission. Yeah. Now you get a long movie and you just have to sit through it. Yeah. Sit there and deal with it. Suck it up, you pansies. Yeah. Well, it's a two and a half hour film. Yeah. But again, I, you know, with the whole saboteur thing, I, I thought that they uh, went the wrong way because if they... Because they, they make a distinction of pointing out that... Uh, uh, the, the lieutenant that comes, the marine lieutenant that comes on board, and uh, Anderson, the the mm-hmm. captain they pick up in transit, um, they make a point of pointing out their their differences in how they handle their men. Um, and the lieutenant's a more likable guy. He's uh, he's a lieutenant. He's probably fresh out of officer candidate school. Yeah, but uh, I'm just saying that it, for me anyway, it would have played better if he had been the saboteur and he was trying to make people like him. Because uh, he had been down there in that compartment where they keep the torpedoes almost the entirety of the trip in the submarine. That would have been, you know, a perfect opportunity for him to sabotage that at some point. Plus, you know, being brought in for a special mission on a submarine. It's just that he, he's one of the characters that gets the least amount of backstory you know, out of this out of this film. And it would have, I think, made for a stronger twist yeah. if you know, he had been the traitor. Plus, you know, obvious Russian is obviously evil. Yes. Unfortunately, so so far we're, we're at the end of uh, part one. Uh, what do you think while you were waiting for the intermission to finish, or did you just skip it? And... I think I got up and did dishes. I just kind of waited okay. for it to end. But um, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, John. Go ahead. No, um, I I thought the the cinematography in part one was really good. I thought you know showing how the submarine works, and you know we get a brief sequence of. Um, Borgnine's character walking around the, the sub, taking a look at things, and everybody's being kind of suspicious. And you know, again, it, it would have made for an obvious red herring, at least for me, anyway. Maybe I read too much Agatha Christie. Uh, I don't. Know. But um, I, 
I thought those those sequences were really good. I mean, it showed, you know, life aboard a sub. Everything has to be really regimented. Everybody's really close in together, especially when you get uh, right after they got on the sub when Jones freaks out and pulls a gun on a guy. Yeah. You know, just showing, showing the claustrophobia that's there and how, you know, one little thing can get on everybody's nerves. Um, I, I wish they had done more with that because it would have, I think it would have made for a stronger film. Okay. Well, uh, well, we start part two with the, with them um, getting at the sub, and they're walking at, uh, along the ice, and uh, they ca- they collapse an ice hole, as it were, which collapses, and they were able to get out. Yeah, they make a big deal about that too. Yeah, they linger on that for a long time, and uh, I know. All right, now it's over. Moving the, on. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to show the dangers on the ice, but they don't really go anywhere with it. Mm. And of course, if, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, the very next scene is them showing up at Zebra, and uh, and also the uh, submarine has to uh, um, submerge again because of the ice field. But anyway, they uh, get, they get to um, Zebra and they find several of this buildings burned and the scientists are dead from hypothermia. Uh, yeah, they're dead and dying. Yeah. Jones and Rasov begin questioning the survivors, and it becomes obvious that the two spies are looking for something. Uh, Faraday reveals to Jones that he knows more about the mission than he's supposed to, saying that we don't believe in going on a mission totally blindfolded. And Jones... You know, speaking as being myself ex-military, I'm not exactly sure that pans out, because usually when you're given secret orders, you're told exactly what you need to know, and, you know, barring situations where you might need more information, you don't just get you know, information on what's going to be going on until it's already happened. So, I, I don't know, that was that was a nitpick on my account. Okay. Um, and when we, we actually, then we actually find out what the mission's all about. Uh, it's about an experimental British camera that was stolen by the Soviets along with an enhanced film emotion developed by the Americans. The Soviets sent it into orbit for to, to fog to photograph all the locations of the American missile silos. However, the camera malfunctioned and was continued to record Soviet missile sites as well. Second malfunction forced the re-entry into the Arctic to Ice Station Zebra. Making it the most valuable film to military intelligence. Indeed. Uh, soon after, undercover Soviet and British agents arrived to recover the film capsule, and the civilian agents at Zebra were caught in the crossfire between them. As the weather clears, Faraday and his sender's crew are looking for the capsule. Zone, uh, Jones finds his hidden tracking device, but is blindsided and knocked unconscious by Vesilov. Dun, dun, dun! Obvious Russian is obviously evil. Yes. <laughs> Who in reality is a Soviet double agent and the saboteur they've been looking for. But before Vesilov can make off with his prize, he is confronted by and- uh, Anders and the two men fight. A Dave's Jones shoots and kills Captain Anders due to Vesilov's mis- manipulation of the scenario. Uh, t- I, I, actually, I actually like that scene between Anders and Vesilov because, uh, you know, Vesilov has got the gun on him and he's trying to uh, goad him into attacking him with the crowbar so it can look like it was self-defense. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that scene. I thought that was a good little bit of character uh, back and forth. Definitely. I, would, I, I agree with you on that. Um, uh, the submarine picks up the Soviet aircraft heading towards Zebra. Faraday remains 
suspicious of Azeroth, but allows him to use the truck to locate the capsule buried in the ice. Alfada, who extracts the capsule, rushing paratry for the land scene, and their commander, Colonel Oskrafsky, I'm butchering the name, but who cares, uh, demands the capsule, believing that the Americans have already secured the canister. The Russian commander threatens to activate the self-destruct monitor's mechanism with a radio detonator. Faraday stores, well, Rassoff defuses the BB capsule and takes out the film. Faraday hands over the empty can- container, but the deception is revealed and a brief firefight breaks out. <laughs> In the confu- and nobody gets shot. They're, yeah. they're like 30 feet from each other and nobody gets shot. Yes. Oh, that's Hollywood. Nobody can aim for, for, for anything. That's very true. No, 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 no. The reason nobody gets shot goes back to that whole, you know, the little bit of trivia that Jones gives gives Captain Andrews that the bullets slow down by 40 feet per second per second square. You know, that thing. That's why no one gets shot. There we go. Oh, yeah, we, we skipped over that. They had a that, that little bit a of trivia back and forth on the sub about how uh, gravitational forces at the poles are different than uh, jungle environment. Denser air, you know. Indeed. Um... And the confused wrestler makes way for Pastor who traps him and mostly wounds him and retrieves the film. Um, Faraday orders Jones to hand the film over to the Soviets. However, Faraday won't only have found radio detonator identical to asteroids. The Russians send the canister adosh by balloon for recovery by approaching jet fighter. Lieutenant Walker makes a desperate attempt to get Asteroid's detonator but failed and is killed. Uh, Commander Faraday then activates his detonator, destroying the film, with the two, uh, with the conflict between the two parties now having ended, effectively ending the stalemate. Askovoy concedes both him, his and Faraday's mission are accomplished, at least in part, and leaves, allowing the uh, submarine to complete the rescue of the civilians. And a dissolving segue shows a teletech machine churning out a new story, hailing the success of the humanitarian mission as an example of the cooperation between the West and the Soviet Union and the submarine search for home. Fairman's. How, how much of a freaking MacGuffin is the fact that Faraday finds a, a identical uh, detonator device? Well, he does use it. No, I'm just saying that, you know, they've, you know, they make a big deal in the film about how the Russians have, have a detonator for it and you can blow it up at any time and kill them and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Faraday just happened to, right before that, find an identical detonator, you know, so that he can pull off his mission so that the Russians don't get them. Did, did it ever explain how he came to that, or is it just suddenly... Uh, he finds it in the uh, tanker where they found the uh, uh, thing with the, the tracking device. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, but, yeah. Um... And we've just summed up two and a half hour movie in about 40 minutes. Not even that. Not even. <laughs> 25. we got to make up for Again, last week being ridiculously long. That's true. That's yeah, got to be shorter. That's true. It, you know, it, it's not a very good film. Uh, I'm just going to say that again. I mean, it's, it's pacing is all over the place. Mm. Again, like the, the last quarter of the film just flies by. Uh, they make such a big deal about getting to Ice Station Zebra, and then they barely do anything while they're there. I mean, the Marines do almost nothing. They've got this whole contingent of Marines with them. They do barely anything. You know, and, and the one likable Marine guy, he ends up dying. Yeah. Uh, it was nominated uh, for two Academy Awards. Really? Yeah. Which one? 
Uh, special effects when it, when it and lost to 2001 in Space Odyssey. And best cinematography won by Romeo and Juliet. Indeed. And when I say Romeo and Juliet, I mean the 1968 version. Yes. Uh, and uh, Roger, uh, Roger Albert uh, gave it a one-star review, saying, quote, it was so flat and conventional that the three moments of interest are an embarrassment. Probably describing it as a dull, stupid movie. Well, director John Carpenter asked, why do I love this movie so much? Saying it was a guilty pleasure. Indeed. And I can, I can see, I can see why it would be a guilty pleasure, but it, it, I think this is one of those, one of those moments where you either, you either like it or you don't. Yeah. Now, uh, for anyone who's listening who's wondering why we've decided to do a special episode on this, uh, as we mentioned before in the podcast, uh, Magoon left halfway through the prisoner to go do this film. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder if, some of the experiences he had on this film uh, uh, related to later when he came back to the prisoner when he was, you know, uh, being violent on set. I don't know. Interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. But yeah, so um, they're, apparently, they're looking to do a remake. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think it's get, got anywhere, though. I think it's in developmental hell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 2013, wasn't it? That was when oh. it was announced. Mm. Now, would a remake of this film really even work in today's climate? I mean, we, we don't have the same, you know, threat of nuclear annihilation that we I had. I mean, then. we redid uh, Red Dawn, or Wolverine, so... And that fell flat in its face, so it might be the same thing. It just ends up flying fat, flat in its face again. And, um, and James Bond still goes on after all these years as well. Yeah, but I think James Bond's a little bit more adaptable to the times. Because it's not always it's not always Russians now, if I remember. That's isn't true. It? That's, yeah, that is you, true. You, you can you can change James Bond, you know, because it's easier to change. I feel like a lot of the stuff that came out of you know the World War Two area, like Red Dawn, like Ice Station Zebra, was because of the mentality of the time period and the inevitable threat of either nuclear war, invasion by a much larger geographical continent where that was the major rival superpower or the fact that it was just the idea of this is the conflict that's going to end the world and spoilers it obviously hasn't but james bond it's just if they're spy it's just a generic spy movie you can change it because the villain doesn't have to be attached to a specific nation unlike you know films like red dawn ice station zebra if I'm going to get really, really kind of into it, Dr. Strangelove and How I Learned to Stop Wearing a Love the Bomb, they're all kind of come out of that time period when it was conflict between two superpowers, whereas James Bond, it's kind of, oh, bad guy, doesn't work for any nation. Oh, we can change that, no problem. Okay. Yeah, plus in, uh, in James Bond, in most of the books, he was fighting the organization Spectre and not specifically the Russian. And you can, you can take Spectre and move it into a modern age as sort of a... Uh, you know, super capitalist uh, black ops group rather than just uh, affiliated with, like, you know, Soviet Russia or, you know, the CIA or something like that. Um, I, I think that's part of that malleability is the strength of James Bond, as opposed to if you were to remake Zebra, I mean, where, where do you really go with that unless you make it a period movie? Welcome to the James Bond podcast, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start talking about our favorite James Bonds, uh, differences between books and movies. Why Idris Elba uh, should whether, be James Bond. Whether Ian Flaming was a raging racist or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
But I, I, I don't think this would do very well as a remake. I really, I really don't. I, I, which is why I'm kind of glad it's stuck in developmental hell. But I suppose we, we would see if it ever comes out of anything. But I, I, it, it hasn't aged well. John, I think John's pretty, pretty right in the fact that saying it, the pacing is just, it can't make up its mind. It, it, I, I feel like it shows that the fact that there was a complete screen rewrite of the show. Oh, we haven't talked about that, have we? Uh, no, we hadn't touched on that yet. No, do you want to take it? Uh, all I know is that there was a complete screen rewrite, and then the original cast wasn't able, because again, I'm pulling this off IMDb trivia. Oh, let me see if I can find it. Intermission. See, we could work that back into a show. Come on. <laughs> yeah, new. All I know is that a new screenplay was was written for the for the movie, and the original cast could not do the film anymore due to scheduling conflicts. So they were replaced with a new lead cast. And I wonder if that maybe had had, to, had you know that affected you know what what we ended up getting in terms of you know cohesion between between actors and how well they interacted on screen cuz 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 they they can really make or break you know particularly a film if even if they don't get along well on set cuz you get you get some actors that can naturally work well together and they can make a movie that on paper looks like crap into something relatively decent whereas something that looks amazing on paper can be totally ruined by the fact that there's no chemistry between main actors uh well uh, Shane's got more on this, I'm sure. Gregory Pack and David Gregory Pack and David Niven were originally attached to the film, uh, with Pack as the subcommander and Niven as the British spy. Uh, filming was set to begin in 19, April '65, but scheduling conflict with the with apparently in air quotes here um, the U.S. Pop Department of Defense. <laughs> yep. Uh, over the original screenplay and his description of naval life aboard the submarine the day the start. Uh, so a new script was commissioned, but due to scheduling conflicts, the original cast would not have longer available, as you said, so filming began in spring 1967. And that lasted 19 weeks, ended in October 67. Yeah, I, I think we can see that in the film, too, because they, they try and set up this adversarial relationship between Jones and Faraday. But it never really goes anywhere, and that that might just be a holdover from the previous script. Like they tried to, to salvage some of that character yeah. interaction, but it ends up falling flat because you know they they rewrite the whole thing. Possibly, possibly. I mean, uh, I mean, have you got anything other to add to the uh, to uh, the, the movie? Um, I've got a little bit of feedback I want to read out. Um, oh, I guess to con- kind of connect it to. To, to more modern movies. Apparently, in Breaking Bad, Walter White gives in a, a check of illegal laundered money to his wife, uh, and upon Skyler skeptically uh, remarks that the front company responsible for the check is listed as Ice Station Zebra Associates. <laughs> Apparently, that, that happened. Oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. Uh, John, have you got anything else, anything else to add? Uh, no, not really. Um, again, you know, we're, we're kind of straying off of our normal format, you know, from TV show to movie, but uh, I don't. I don't really think so. Um, 
Oh, oh, I, I, I feel like I should point this out as, as kind of a goof. I just felt, I just scrolled across this one. Uh, the submarine that used in the movie was the USS Ronquil, which was SS-396. They repainted the whole number to 509. However, the first nuclear-powered submarine was the USS Nautilus, which was SSN-571. So, kind of just a bit of a technical goof. Not a, not a, obviously a huge deal, and the only reason I'm finding is because I'm scrolling through IMB. But, okay. just kind of a little technical goof. Okay. I'll stop now. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, um, I got feedback. Uh, first of all, I'm going to start with uh, Anthony Rooney, who said, uh, The Cold War at its coldest. Great movie. I would love it even without the prisoner connection. And also, um, I posted something in the prisoner uh, group that I admin on Facebook. And I posted... Uh, this afternoon as I was watching the film, currently watching my station Evil for the first time. Uh, Scott Edwards replied, great film, McGowan seriously rocks Rock Hudson. So, great film, McGowan seriously showed Rock Hudson how to act. Also, sadly, the reason why Do Not Forsake Me is certainly rubbish. Um, Will Leslie also said it was Howard Hughes' favourite film. Uh, Guy Gray Nim uh, responded to that by not his favourite, he just watched it obsessively. Aaron Minzy responded by saying, my dad now used to watch this when I was growing up, I need to watch it again. Dennis uh, said, I want I want to see this film in the cinema in 1968 and bought the book. And Jen Davis says, uh, I got the book too and the DVD. Must admit the best scene is where Patrick thumped his tape uh, where Patrick sums the table when talking to Rock Hudson, the film is otherwise very slow moving. And that is it in the feedback. So again, it seems to be, you know, a, a guilty pleasure movie or something yeah. you grew up with. Although I would like to point out that, yeah, McGowan is a better actor than Rock Hudson was. Yeah. Exactly. But um, uh, if you can always leave it feedback at uh, the prisoner introcast at gmail.com uh, you can also uh, look us uh, on Facebook and just search for in the village a prisoner introcast uh, we're also on Twitter at the prisoner intro and uh, yeah, we'll be back in a uh, fortnight uh, to do the uh, first episode of the remake so it's been hello. quite hello sorry hooray, hooray. <laughs> And I can't uh, wait to see the feedback from Rooney on that one. Yes, indeed. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. You guys haven't seen it yet, I'm assuming. Uh, I watched the first episode today because I thought that's what we were covering, and then I went back and remembered, oh, no, we're doing I see Zebra. Uh, whoops. Ah, okay. I'll so I've seen, I, I have now seen the first episode. I'll probably watch, watch it again, but I've at least seen the first episode now because I thought that's what we were supposed to cover today before okay. looking back to my cat history. Cool. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, another thing before we uh, before we go, two more things actually. First of all, uh, check out the band "Do Not Forsake Me and My Darling." We let us use our theme music. Uh, and also tomorrow, uh, it will come out today, which is Saturday. So tomorrow, being Sunday, I am going to be recording the very first episode of my new intro cast. Um, Shane, tomorrow's Monday. Oh wait, no, you're talking about when this is released. Don't. Never mind. Slow clap for Aaron. <laughs> it's okay, Aaron. It's, it's okay. The days, they all mesh together now. <laughs> yes. I forgot what I got up to on that. Your, 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 new, your new intro cast, that's where you're going with it. Okay, that's, yeah. 
my new my new intro cats uh, called Lexicon, where we will be covering the great science uh, sci-fi show Lex, and that will be tomorrow night. So uh, if you're listening to this on uh, either Sunday night, so Saturday night or Sunday morning, uh, let's find us on Facebook and leave us some feedback for our very first episode. Please, come on, please, please, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, please. Come so, on, yes. future people, do it, you know you want to. Indeed, indeed. so that, that's Lexicon, so find us on Facebook, yay! Uh, but anyway, uh, we need to uh, rate this damn thing. So, uh, John? Oh, ratings. Um, uh, again, you know, it's conceptually, it's not a bad film. Um, it's got sure pacing problems. It's got, I'm sure the book is better. Uh, it's got some acting problems. Um, it's got a, it's got character moments that don't go anywhere. It's got a plot twist that isn't really a plot twist. Uh, but all in all, it's not a terrible movie. Um, so I'm going to give it, uh, four out of ten ice crevices. Okay, Aaron. Hello. What? Oh, is it my turn? Yes. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, as I, I kind of mentioned, it hasn't really aged well. Um, and you know, John's kind of gone over the the pacing and other other issues that it's had. Overall, I, I think I want to give it kind of four oversized torpedo wrenches at a at a ten because it it has some some brief moments that I chuckled at, mainly the the bullet denser air little bit of trivia that Patrick McGoon's character tells to Anders. Um, but beyond that, it, 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 it has its, it, the issues kind of outweigh the, the brief moments it has. Okay. Falls to me. Uh, it, for me, it is incredibly so paced, but as I said before, it didn't, it felt, um, slower than it actually was. Um, so yeah, uh, so I will give it, um, four out of ten sinking submarines. You know, I think that's the first time we've ever had a unanimous score. Yeah, I think I think so. I think so. I'll definitely def, def, def double check everything, but I think you are right. Anyway. Holy, holy crap! Uh, uh, I, I don't know what's going on. Doesn't know how to be right. Uh, I think the word is collapsing on ourselves. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, as I said, we'll be back in a in a fortnight to discuss the first episode of the um, reimagining, as I was corrected. On Facebook with you today. AMC's attempt at making the prisoner with Ian yes. McKellen. Yeah, indeed. So that is at least one good spot. Yes. But until then, we'll say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Be seeing you. <laughs>